0: Yeah, I mean, what we're witnessing is basically, for most older Christian scientists, it's Jonestown in slow motion.
1: Hello, Cult Hackers. I'm Celine, a media graduate with a personal interest in cults.
2: And I'm Stephen, organisational psychologist, also with an interest in cults and high control groups and a former member. Today, Celine and I explore a group we've not talked about before, that is Christian Science with our guest Hilary Alexandra. Hilary was raised in the group and talks about her process of leaving and making sense of the world afterwards. Christian Science, not to be confused with Scientology, is a religion that was started by Mary Baker Eddy in the late 19th century and, as you'll hear from Hillary, has some pretty unusual beliefs that lead to some dangerous practices. Perhaps the most important of these is the refusal by many adherents to use modern medicine or medical procedures. So welcome to the show Hillary. Thank you. So this is the first time we've spoken to someone from the Christian Scientist group. And so I think I'm very curious about it. I'm sure Celine is too, and our listeners will be as well. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and growing up within that religious group. What's it What's it all about?
0: Okay, well, um, I was born into it. Uh, my mother, quote unquote, found Christian Science when she was pregnant with me, so I didn't stand a chance.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no choice. Um,
0: Yeah, so my mother was slightly older than the hippie generation, but she still had that sort of seeker mentality. She was sort of in and out of various groups starting in the late 60s. Um, The one that she had been in before Christian Science was she was very involved in macrobiotics, which is a you know, a, a way of uh, healthy eating, but also has a uh, whole sort of Eastern religious philosophy behind it.
2: Oh, that's interesting. And, that, that's another one that I've never heard of. So that's uh, that's Yeah, and
0: I think that one is fairly benign. Mm. Um, it's To be honest, I still eat some of the food because it is very healthy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's enough. a lot of
0: brown rice and vegetables, and it's very sort of Japanese-based and very clean. Yep. So well, as, as per usual, there's always some elements of good things in any group, you know, that you can sort of take with you if you want. Um, But so she found Christian Science when she was pregnant with me. And because she has that sort of seeker mentality of always sort of looking for more, uh, there's got to be more than just this. There's got to be more than just what we see around us. I personally disagree with that. I don't think there is more than what we see
2: around (laughs) us. But nobody knows.
0: I don't know for sure. It's just an opinion, you know. Like, these are all yeah. just opinions.
2: We'll come back to that. That sounds very interesting. Um, but yeah, carry yeah. on, carry on. <laughs> yeah.
0: So she also ended up being very involved in the church um, business. She ended up being a journalist for the Christian Science Monitor. She was their jazz and pop reviewer for many years and also worked. I mean, she started, I think, working security at the, the main church center, which is in Boston, in Massachusetts, in the United States, and so she pretty much made her entire living and world off of Christian science from the yeah. early 70s. And I'm, I'm lucky, among other ex-Christian scientists, in that I didn't grow up completely immersed in that world. You know, there, there are boarding schools and, and colleges and things where you can really just grow up in this Christian science bubble. Right. So despite the fact that she worked there, and, and it was a big part of our lives, no doubt, I still... Went to school with regular kids and had a, a pretty normal childhood, except for when it came time to go to school and you had to have an exemption form from getting vaccinated or even taking a biology class in school or a health class, that sort of thing. We had all these exemptions um, that I don't think exist on a large scale anymore like they did in the 70s and 80s. I think a lot of those, you know, exemption. Have, are gone now. Like I know in California, where I live now, there's no more uh, exemptions from vaccines for kids in schools. You, you either get the vaccine or you don't go to public school. So, oh, okay. um, I, but I think it was a lot different. The, the climate was a lot different, you know, 40, mm. 50 years ago. Um, so I think that's what saved me and my sister is that we did have a very normal upbringing around kids that didn't think like us. You know, I, I, with the exception of going to a Christian science camp for a few years when I was a kid, which I actually loved. I loved everything about that experience. (laughs) I had no bad experiences at that camp. It was wonderful. Apart from then, that was the only time I was around other Christian science children.
2: Right.
0: You know, I didn't know anybody else that was a Christian scientist, certainly not kids, because by the time I came around, Christian science has been slowly dying for probably mm. the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, if you go to a church now, if you can even find one, <laughs> it's, it's probably got a congregation of maybe three or four 85 year old ladies. Oh
2: wow! And that's really? it. Um,
0: it's, um, you know, th- there are many factors as to why Christian science is dying out. Uh, the main one being that they don't proselytize. They have no, Missions. They have no desire to get out in the street and hand people leaflets. That's just something that was never part of it. And I was actually proud of that growing up. I, I thought that that was yet another reason why I thought we were so superior to everybody else it was because we didn't actively seek out new members and we didn't annoy people. You know, and I was so proud of that. I thought that was so great.
2: Yeah, and that's that somehow sounds... this
0: through we had yep. would just be so powerful that it would get to people whether we did anything about it or not
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great I wish our group was like that Jehovah's Witnesses I love the proselytizing bit um, yeah, yeah we I, had I have some
0: <laughs> Jehovah's Witness friends now who, who are sort of half in half out and right. and I know that they still feel obligated to mm-hmm. you know knock on doors or write letters and they yeah. just they really really feel that that's something they need to do and i'm like oh god i'm so glad i don't have to do that
2: (laughs) (laughs) wow okay so um let's go back to your story so uh you're raised within this group of christian scientists so you you went to regular school but obviously your a lot of the teachings you were taught by your your mum was was all about this this religious group this way of thinking um, could you tell us a little bit about what the group believes? So, what what is it that makes Christian Science different to, I don't know, um, the local Protestant Church or the Catholic Church yeah, or something? Yeah,
1: I can see it's like it's um, that late eighteen hundreds sort of time period when it starts, and it just says the, the original founder was from that Protestant tradition. So, there's a lot of stuff that crops up from that Protestant tradition around that sort of time. But yeah, what's going on there? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's an odd mix of traditional Protestant Christianity because the founder of the religion, uh, a woman named Mary Baker Eddy, she grew up Calvinist, so that was her background. She was born in 1820, I believe, and um, you know, so there is a belief in in God and Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ was son sent here to do whatever. (laughs) You know, we did read the King King James Bible every day. You know, that was a big part of our lives, um, Old and New Testament. Um, But she also wrote her interpretation of the Bible, which is a book called Science and Health. So those two books together were our textbooks, as you could say. And so what we would do is there was a weekly, they would call it the lesson sermon, where you would get this little book called The Quarterly, and it would give you passages that you should mark in each of these books on a Sunday night. And so we would sit there with our little blue chalk and we would mark all these little passages, one for each day. And then the idea was that you were supposed to read it every single day in the morning. The same thing from you know the Bible and then the little passages from Science and Health. And then church on Sundays would be somebody called the first reader. We don't have any pastors or priests or preachers. That's not a thing for us. There's nobody that has, like, they don't write a sermon. They don't preach on a topic. There's no, like, personal input. Nobody sort of philosophizes and says, oh, this week we're going to talk about charity Uh or this week we're going to talk about forgiveness. There's nothing like that. Uh You basically, in the church, you elect a first reader and a second reader, and that person serves, I forget how long the term is, probably a year or something like that. And they just read that lesson that you read all Uh week. Again, (laughs) again and i i had a, a a friend of my sister's who grew up in it and, and left a lot earlier than we did <laughs> i remember she said once she said wait a minute this is the same shit we've been reading all week <laughs> and it, yeah. you know it's one of those things where when you when you're raised in it as you well know it just doesn't seem weird to you it's just the way no. things are you know, it seemed perfectly normal to me to read the same thing every day for seven days and then go to church and hear someone else read it.
2: You know? <laughs> That's really interesting, actually. The um, I Jehovah's Witnesses are not quite as, um, uh, yeah, and it's not quite the same, but, but they do cover the same material over and over again. You do, you know, you do find yourself, oh, it's that again, and um, – yeah, you don't go into anything particularly no. deep. Well, really. the Watchtower section is quite alike to that because everyone has their little like Watchtower book, yeah,
1: sure. pamphlet or whatever you want to mm. call it, that is for that like period of time. And then I don't think they do them as as much nowadays as they used to, but um, everyone highlights those and writes notes and things and then you talk about it in there. So you're not literally reading it out again, but you are doing your homework and then talking
2: about it in class later basically you know it's all rehashing the same thing over Mm. and over again yeah i mean that that's a a kind of cultic um common practice really to continually feed you the same stuff over and over and over again and it has i think multiple purposes but uh, we can get into that all right so this is interesting it's a very different sort of environment um than i think many would be used to so you you go along to this uh this hall and uh they they read these passages um so what about the the sort of doctrine so you, you talked about the um you believe the bible and you believe this book science and health um and you would study those those things what what's the kind of doctrinal setup around things like cuz it's got two names in a way it's, it's trying to straddle two domains Christianity and science you know religion and science but when i'm looking at the beliefs it seems not to be particularly christian and not very scientific it's like the biggest misnomer um so the the whole ransom sacrifice thing which is key to Christianity—the idea that original sin happened, that man fell from perfection, and that Jesus came as a ransom sacrifice um, to sort of pay for this this sin that man had, um, you know, because of of Adam's and Eve's sin—is that is that part of the belief system, or I, I understand it's it's not really. Can you could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Right. So the the interesting thing about Christian Science and another thing that I was proud of when I was younger was the fact that it it took these traditional Christian concepts and really yeah. turned them on their head. Um, you know, there was so we we didn't believe in in that classic story of that we were all born sinners that needed okay. redemption right. and that we were waiting for a Messiah or whatever you know there's no there's no belief in the holy trinity like that's just something that's not there so the basic concept Mm -hmm. is and it's really a a, a pretty simplistic one is that all of human existence is an illusion it's called the adam dream that basically this is somehow something that adam dreamed all of this and that the reality is that we're all these perfect reflections of God, all of us. Like our our individuality is just that we're a reflection of God. Therefore, there can be no sin, no death, no illness, no discord of any kind. Um, Now, how do you mesh that with your actual human existence where all of those things do exist? That's where the cognitive dissonance comes in because you are living a human life and you are suffering normal human experiences And yet you have to convince yourself that it's all an illusion and it's not real. And the more intensely you know that it's not real, will somehow make it not real. (laughs) So that's where the the medical care issue comes in. I think if anyone's heard of Christian science, first they either think it's Scientology, which Mm. it's not, but there are similarities. Okay. Um, but the other thing they would think is that, oh, you're the people that don't believe in doctors. Yeah, and that's the that's the real sticking point is that part of this whole it's all an illusion. you can't you can't pretend like these things are actually real gets into well, if you have an illness, going to the doctor is saying that you think it's real. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're you're admitting. That it's real and that's somehow a bad thing. So what you should be doing instead is praying to know that it's not real and that it'll magically go away.
2: (laughs) Right, okay. Now you ask
0: yourself, how would people possibly stick with this when clearly that's not going to work? Well, you have to remember that this religion started in the 1870s and 80s. And the fact is a lot of minor ailments do go away on their own. You know, yeah. so when I was in Christian science, whenever I'd have some minor illness or accident or whatever, you know, I would pray, 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 and read the Bible and read science and health and put my little two fingers on my forehead and know the truth, know the truth, know the truth. And then Ooh. the thing over a few days would get better. And I would, I, I would call it a healing, <laughs> you know? Because the vast majority of minor things that we encounter day to day that aren't major illnesses do go away. And so then you go to the Wednesday night testimony meeting and talk about how you had this miraculous healing because you knew the truth so well. And it's all nonsense, you know, because the sad part, and people who know the history of Christian science know this, is that many, many times when people do have actual illnesses like diabetes or cancer, they quote unquote know the truth and they die (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, and Christian scientists have been hauled into court when there were um, parents who, whose children died because they prayed, prayed, prayed and knew the truth and their child died, which is a horrendous, yeah. horrific tragedy. Yeah. But you really, truly believe that, that it's the best thing and that it works. And there's also a lot of coercion, you know, especially if you're very entrenched in a Christian science world and everyone around you and you're third generation and all this and your child gets deathly ill. People around you, because I've, I've read the stories and heard the stories, will guilt you into not taking that child to the doctor. And because mm-hmm. you're so enmeshed in that world, you you just go along. And that's why I do call Christian science a cult, because I feel like if there's a belief system and a coercive system that's so powerful that it will compel you to watch your child die. Mm-hmm that's a cult (laughs) and this didn't just happen once this happens a lot and still happens today you know so that that's a powerful belief system that will cause something like that to happen
1: what does that you know in the in the instances where it isn't something that's going to go away something that does stick around what does that in in your experience or the people you've spoken to due to someone's faith do you do they manage to cling on and say they did the right thing or does that break people at that point if you know someone does pass away because they've refused medical care
0: um i mean we certainly have people in in our ex-christian scientist facebook group who either sadly had children die of their own or you know knew people or had other relatives die and they did leave the faith you know it, it did break them out of it mm. um there's a woman who's become very very a very active uh, medical children's advocate later in life who in the 70s had a child die um, who was in Christian science and she's you know painstakingly told her terrible story over and over. And so she not only left but became an advocate for you know against child medical neglect. So but then there are, there are people who also never do leave, even even under the most horrific circumstances, and still believe and because the problem is if you don't believe in death either, you know, this child didn't die, this child, you know, moved on to the next plane or however you want to explain it away, you know.
2: And I guess whose fault is it, you know, will be the the question. If if I don't get better, um, then it, it's, is it my fault um, that I've not got better because I didn't have sufficient faith or I wasn't yeah. praying hard enough or?
0: Yeah, it's all your fault. Everything is yeah. your fault. Which yeah. is, to me, the number one most damaging thing, because obviously I survived my Christian science childhood, yes. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> and my sister and I are very <laughs> grateful that we both survived <laughs> physically, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, emotional damage as far as being raised in a, in a thought system that where everything is always your fault, and it's not only that you failed to correct a thing that happened to you, you also failed to keep it from happening to you in the first place which covers just about everything, you know? I yeah. mean, if, you're, if your purse is stolen, it's like, well, you know, you obviously weren't doing your protective work this week, otherwise wow. that wouldn't have happened to you. I mean, this was, these are things my mother said to me all through my life, that every single, n- nothing was ever an accident. Like, there's no accidents in Christian science. Everything happens for a reason, which I profoundly do not believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is brought upon you by your lack thereof you know (laughs) so you know in these in these belief systems because this is a very common thing that isn't just Mm. in christian science Mm. where if something bad happens to you it's your fault um but then you don't get credit when the good thing happens that's that's a god you know (laughs) that you're never a good person because a good thing happened to you you know
2: absolutely um yeah you good for nothing slave uh there's a passage in the bible that talks about that yeah um that what does that do to you um even now you've left do you find that that sort of mentality i guess you fight against it maybe you've left all that behind but did you find that there was a a bit of a residue of, of that sort of way of thinking even after you'd left
0: yeah that was the hardest thing to kick really and i'm, I'm out so long now that there really isn't any of that left anymore. But if I talked to you five or six years ago, there might've been a little bit, you know, I've been slowly pulling away for probably 30 years at this point, very, very slowly. And I can honestly say now that all of that is gone and I, I can just laugh, but there was definitely a time where it would still pop into my head. Like, Oh, what did I do to make this happen? Or maybe I was being negative today or maybe, and, and, you know, and now I can just laugh at that because I think at, at 50, I've had enough life experience to know that good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to bad people, yeah. things just happen. <laughs> and you don't cause it, you do not have yeah. this magical power coming out of your brain to make things happen or not happen. I mean, it's profoundly egotistical, really, to even assume a thing like that.
2: It's you know? true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it mean, it sort of suggests that the whole world revolves around you, doesn't it? It uh, does. Which yeah. I, I suppose is... In a way, if if everything is is a kind of dream that you're having, in a way, that's kind of where you end up. Um, I'm fascinated by this this philosophy, this idea that Adam dreamed all of this into existence. Uh, it's all unreal. I mean, where where does that come from? That that seems Eastern. It seems more like Buddhism, or I don't know. It doesn't seem it does. like Christianity, does it?
0: No, I, I, you know, I wish I knew more about that. Um, I can't really say, I can't imagine that Mary Baker Eddy was exposed to Eastern philosophy in the mm-hmm. 1860s. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's somebody that knows more of her history and, and where she really came up with these concepts. There was a, there, there was a, I don't know what I would even call him. Just like a personality operating at the time named, I think, Phineas Quimby. And his concepts ended up becoming new thought, I think okay um uh, and yeah science of mind and things like that and mary baker is often accused of stealing his ideas okay which i wouldn't put past her honestly (laughs) so (laughs) i think there is a connection there that Mm. that you know in the second half of the 19th century there was sort of the beginning of this new age philosophy at least in the united states sort of borrowing from eastern traditions and Mm. uh and sort of trying to meld it in with Christianity because that was comfortable to us. You know, we needed, we still needed our Jesus and our church and our hymns and things, but we wanted this. Some people wanted this sort of more, uh, exotic, uh, mindset of, Mm. you know, you can, you can pray and you can make things happen. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure directly where she got these concepts from, but I'm going to guess some of it came from
2: Quimby. Interesting.
1: If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just one pound or a dollar fifty and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some cult hacking you've been involved in, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to culthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our cult hackers. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. I was just thinking at this point, we were talking about this woman that's sort of like the founder, like what she'd been ill. Um, herself, and then like, at some point she's meant to apparently be, you know, um, very ill, and then she reads a passage, and that's where this sort of stems from. Is that correct? Like this is, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about like that sort of it's
2: the origin story? Origin well, story. What's the origin yeah.
0: story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The origin story that we all grew up knowing mm. was that Mary Baker Eddy slipped on the ice and fell and badly hurt her back. Probably, I think, around the late eighteen sixties. And, you know, was bedridden and at death's door, supposedly. And yes, she had that. That was her moment of revelation. I, I don't know specifically what she read. I probably did know at one point. I don't remember mm. now. But she read something in the Bible that made her think that we can heal as Jesus did, mm. that we we have this power to heal ourselves. And miraculously, she was healed and went on to found this, this religion that, um really took off in the 1880s and, and 1890s. In fact, most of the church, especially on the East Coast, would have been built around that time. And they accommodate thousands of people. I mean, there are these massive mausoleums, you know, built to, to Mary Baker Eddy. And now most of them are being repurposed or have, you know, two or three congregants still Toddling in on a Sunday and that's that's about it. That's where it (laughs) that's where it ended now because she died in 1910 and like a lot of Charismatic cult leaders. She did not leave any sort of Succession succession plan. There was nobody to take over for her. Mm -hmm. There was no real outlining of what was to happen to everything after this and So like with a lot of religions where the main person dies off. There was a lot of fighting and back and forth for the first few decades, and I think I think where Christian Science stands now is there really isn't a, a head of the church or a leader of any kind, at least not one that you would know about. It's really like oh, there's a spokesperson that does all the interviews whenever somebody dies, <laughs> basically, and and that's it. Like there's no, there was no new person that took over for her and became you know, it's really just her. And I think we have a lot of discussions in our facebook group about was she a, a you know a sociopath or was she a true believer in this and we'll probably never know the answer to that i think it's it might be a little bit of both i think it's possible that she had this you know revelatory moment when she was at death's door cuz people do that happens to your brain you know <laughs> when you think you're dying <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, yeah, now there's a physiological thing there, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's possible that she she really was a true believer in this, but like a lot of things, I think when the money came and the the fame it probably twisted her into being a bit of a a, a narcissist and I've certainly heard many stories of what she was like to work for in her household and things like that and she was an absolute right. nightmare. And that to me says a lot. Okay. Like if you treat your health poorly, mm. <laughs> that says a lot about your personality to me you know so i don't think she was a good person you know in it's, the end
1: yeah that because that's you kind of answered the question that i always like asking which is I are know, they i the th- first, thought you were gonna ask that yeah, yeah are they the first member of their own cult basically or what yeah this? i think so yeah, yeah. i, I mean in, in a way
0: it's, like it's you know it's remarkable that a woman in those times was able to do what she did And I Mm -hmm. give her that. And that was certainly something that attracted my mother to this. I mean, my mother was a a proud seventies feminist. And I think that really appealed to her that, that this whole thing was founded by this woman. And the fact that in the confines of the belief system, there's really no patriarchy, which it's, you know, it's delightfully free of gender roles and, Mm -hmm. you know, sexism against women. And that, that, that is a good thing. (laughs) And once again, there are these little kernels of good things in there that we're all just sort of equal. We're all these spiritual beings, you know, but the main takeaway I get from Christian science is that it's very, very cold. You know, it's because you're not, because you're not supposed to be human, really any human interactions, good or negative are sort of discouraged you know, mm. like there, there are certain passages here and there about how your children aren't really your children. They're God's children. Mm. And you're not supposed to, again, this is, you know, again, it, probably an Eastern thing. You're not really supposed to have any attachment to anything. You know, you're not yeah. supposed to have these close personal relationships because it's all quote unquote error. That's the term that's used, mm. error. Or animal magnetism. Error. That's another one.
2: Oh, wow.
0: um, so that because that's the the overall philosophy that bleeds into your family life and your relationships and you know the christian science church doesn't do any sort of charity work it doesn't put on any functions there's no funerals there's no weddings i mean you Mm -hmm. get married as a christian scientist but not in the christian science church and not by a christian science pastor because that doesn't exist that's not a thing you know you you have a non-denominational wedding or something like that and um and so it just it cuts out all the humanity out of life Mm. you know Mm. and i was already growing up in in new england in a a very sort of non-affectionate environment (laughs) Mm. (laughs) i mean i think our family sort of had those tendencies anyway Um, but Christian science just added a whole nother level of you're not supposed to be attached to any of these people. This is all just an illusion. Mm. It's all going away. Mm. And again, that's not something that you consciously think about every day. Mm. But there's this river of, you know, detachment everywhere that none of this really matters. What we're really thinking about is, I don't even know what, just existing as this perfect spiritual being, you know?
2: It's so ethereal, literally, isn't it? That it's very hard to get your head around what it is you're supposed to be and be like. It sounds quite difficult. Um, I mean, the um, most of these let's call them fringe religions or cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientologists, um, Christian scientists, there's often like a famous person that um, that that people say, oh, weren't they a Christian scientist or weren't they a Scientologist? I understand Doris Day was um, very much involved at one time. I don't know if you know anything about, about that. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, it became – it was sort of the Scientology of its day because for yeah. some reason – I think even starting in the 20s or 30s, Hollywood latched on to this. Okay. And so there's a long list of people that either were completely practicing and that was their religion and they went to church or just people that dabbled. You know, they, they liked some of the concepts. Yeah, I mean, there are even people now. You know, Val Kilmer is a, a very vocal oh, really? Christian scientist and, and has been suffering terribly with, um, I think, some sort of esophageal cancer or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, there's a documentary where he talks about it. I haven't watched it because it's oh, <laughs> probably a little triggering for me, but <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't know yeah, that. It's, that's so very interesting.
0: Yeah. And even um, I wish I had the names off the top of my head, but there were several top um, advisors in the Nixon administration that were Christian scientists, which is bizarre when you think mm. about it. Like what are the odds that, you know, four or five people in
2: <laughs> Nixon's mm.
0: cabinet could be actually Christian scientists.
2: And, what are they and a lot doing there.
0: Yeah. Why are they there? If
2: it's just not real, then...
0: Yeah, why are they even bothering, right? (laughs) (laughs) Why do they even get up in the morning? What's the point? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) Crumbs. Okay, I mean, uh, the other thing that I'm quite fascinated by is the observation of a cult that's dying, um, which I think is is something that's quite, just from a purely, I don't know, like an observational point of view. You know, what, what's it like when a cult dies? And often cults, you know, we think about cults that go out with a bang, um, you know, something terrible happens. But I think most cults probably just fizzle away, really. Um, and we're it sounds like we're watching that in real time with Christian Science. I actually do know the, the city that, that I live in, um, I I know where the Christian Science Hall is. It's been there for absolutely years. It's a very small unassuming little little hall it's very small but that's been there for absolutely years and it's still there i don't know how many people attend but it is still there so it's still going but it sounds like it's um it's dying
0: yeah i mean what we're witnessing is basically for most older christian scientists it's Jonestown in slow motion because Mm. if you're of the old school like i am um and your quote unquote radical reliance, which means no doctors, no medical interference whatsoever, which we were, Yeah, you, you don't end well. So yeah. unless you're lucky and just, you know, live to 90 and die in bed, which some people will, you know, the rest of us are going to have cancers and things pop up as you get older. And unfortunately, most of them just die terribly in terrible suffering. They have these, um, nursing homes and convalescent homes for Christian science. There's one quite near me, actually, where the old Christian scientists go and they just slowly die there with no medical intervention. You know, no comfort, no (laughs) acknowledgement of their pain. Um, And I just can't imagine what a horror show these places Mm. must be, you know. And then for the younger people, one of two things happen. They either leave completely Um, or they just sort of stay half in half out. You know, they, they like the concept of God is love and everything Mm -hmm. is love and love, love, love. And they like that. And they, they still go to doctors and still get their kids vaccinated and lead a pretty normal life. But they just like the sort of the happy love joy part of it, which is fine. Again, you know, whatever floats your boat, if that, if that helps you get through, that's fine. But, yeah, there's really only two paths for people. It's, you know, getting out completely or having to sort of half in, half out or, and or dying terribly, which I guess would be three
1: paths. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's no other way, yeah. really.
1: In terms of like ethically, what do you think is, you know, it's just it's your opinion, but what do you think is the right thing to do? So obviously these people are making, you know, the people that, you know, are um, becoming older go to these convalescence homes. Um, do you just leave them to it? Like they've made their choice and they're allowed to make their choices. Do you think that there should be intervention? Like, or just for anybody that's, you know, in this kind of cult and they're not getting the care that they kind of deserve really. Um, do you think, do you have like a, an opinion on like an ethical stance?
0: Um, I do. I, you know, I hate to interfere with people's lives, but when I feel like people have been brainwashed and they're suffering needlessly, yeah, I mean, I, I really wish all of these these homes would be closed down and that the people would be given medical care whether they want it or not. <laughs> I know that sounds mm-hmm. terrible, but I I just, I went through this with my own mother. You know, yeah. she she and I had become alienated over Russian science around 2006 and she was living in uh, Brazil at the time, she moved down there. And part of the reason we spent Split up is because I knew she was going to end like this, and I just couldn't just watch it happen and support her in that, you know. And sure enough, twelve years later, she did just die horribly alone and suffering in this little apartment, and we'll never know exactly what happened to her. She had some undiagnosed illness that had been going on for decades at that point. Um, my sister and my and me have a theory that um, it probably started off as a basic like UTI. You know, just a basic mm-hmm. infection that could have been wiped out with uh,
2: antibiotics mm-hmm. early
0: on. Mm-hmm. Never, never treated or diagnosed, never seen about, and probably over 20, 30 years developed into some sort of bladder cancer or kidney cancer. Because she even left um, some recordings on her computer where, in which she said, like, I know I have cancer and I know I'm dying, you know, and Perfect, we it's a terrible tragedy. And my sister and I, over the years, knowing that she was going down this path, you know, we we thought about maybe getting an interventionist to go down there. Like we would all fly down to Brazil and just knock on her door and basically drag her out and <laughs> force her to go to a doctor. You know, we had all kinds of thoughts about this. And unfortunately when her, my, my aunt was still alive during all this, we talked to her about it, thinking maybe she'd want to get involved. And she said, she's never going to change. It's not mm. going to work. You're going to go through all that and spend thousands of dollars and go down there and try to talk to her, and she—it's not going to happen. She won't do it. Mm. So we just sort of gave up. I mean, do I want police barging in on a elderly people's home and dragging people out? Not really. But do I want them to lie there in terrible suffering? Either mm. no. So it's—it's a—it's a tough call. It's it I know that's really
1: hard, is. isn't it? Yeah. yeah,
0: like what 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 do you do when people are insistent upon this? It's sort of like when people talk about Scientology, the people that are in the hole, I don't know how much you know about Scientology, but hmm. there are people who are sort of sent to the RPF when they're when they've been bad. Yeah. And they're in this hole for literally years or decades where they're just suffering terribly. Hmm. And if you ask a, a someone who's left Scientology, what would happen if we just sent the FBI down there and just like dragged everybody out? They said they wouldn't leave. Yeah they wouldn't leave or they, they would leave and go back. So what do you do?
2: It's very difficult, isn't it? Um, especially as people get older, you know, their whole life has been within some sort of belief system and all the implications of that. It's, it's really hard to see the value in, in trying to undermine all that. But I guess the, the suffering is a, I think that is a really important point. We're talking about some uh, horrible, horrible existence the last few years of their lives if, if they're not having any treatment. And, um, I mean, just simple painkillers, you know, just Well, just
1: life gets more painful, even yeah. if you're not
2: ill. Like, mm. when
1: you're old, just life is more painful, you know. Just... Yeah, just comfort and being cared for is necessary when you get to a certain age, isn't it? Um to Yeah, cared, I mean, imagine
0: imagine being in those places and not only not getting any physical, you know, no, no painkillers, no, <laughs> no IVs, no nothing, but then not even getting the emotional care that
2: you need, yeah. you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. It feels very, well, you said that being cold, so that's when yeah. it really, it, that's a real big highlight for us, isn't it?
2: You know? Yeah. So, so Hillary, um, tell us how you got out, because that's a really important part of, of our podcast is is that people leave these groups and are able to leave so how did you manage to disentangle yourself from all of that
0: well like i said it was a long process if you've ever heard julia sweeney's letting go of god it's a it's a it's a, a one woman show that this actress who was on saturday night live did and i i forget where i found it it was probably on youtube or something and someone had recommended it to me and i listened to it And it was a very similar trajectory for me. She left, I I think, just basic Catholicism and just left belief entirely. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was also a long process of trying different things and trying to still work your way around. Like, well, I still believe in God or I still believe in a reason for everything Mm -hmm. or I still believe in like some universal force that's sort of governing everything. And then finally just getting to the point of, no, it's all chaos. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that that's how it went for me. I. You know, from the time I was a young child, I I would question things, and things didn't make sense. And I kept these journals that I still have, where I would write. I would just be so frustrated because I would say, "Okay, so none of this is real, but we still have to live this. I still have to get up every day and live this illusion, and it feels really real." (laughs) You know, the pain from a cut hurts. You know, Mm. the pain from a broken relationship hurts, but it's all an illusion, and I there's a point at which convincing yourself that it, it doesn't hurt just stops working. It's like, no, 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 it does hurt. <laughs> Stop telling me it doesn't hurt. You know? <laughs> so I would write these long journal entries when I was around 11 or 12, just like, I don't understand. We still have to live this whether it's real or not. So what's mm. the point of all this? It doesn't make sense. And when my grandmother died, when I was 15, that was my first, you know, close death experience And as much as I will admit, I got some comfort from the thought that, well, she's not really dead and death isn't real. And that's, you know, my mother was telling me these things, you know, it's nice to think that it's certainly nice to think that your loved one goes on and is still here in some way or whatever. Hmm. But the fact is like, well, but I don't get to see her anymore. We don't get to talk Hmm. anymore. She's gone and that still hurts. And there was no acknowledgement of that, you know? So throughout my teen years, I, I'll be honest, like I came in and out of it a lot. I was still in my 30s. I was still sort of half in, half out. So maybe I should try picking up a book and reading it again. Maybe I should blah, blah, blah. And my mother was similar. You know, she she wasn't just straight true believer all the way. There were mm-hmm. There were periods where she was sort of out and she would try some other thing. You know, she would find some guru and get baptized and she would do all this stuff. <laughs> but then it would always circle back to Christian science for some reason. That was just the thing that stuck with her. I didn't try other belief systems at all. I I had no interest in that. But, yeah, it was a long process, and it it first started um, in the early 90s when I moved to L.A. uh, by myself. It was the first time I was on my own. And I was very active in the churches here, such as they were, and had a lot of Christian science friends. And to be honest, they really helped me. You know, as a 20-year-old moving to a new city, it was very, very helpful to have people sort of take me in and help and like they can help me get my first job and help me learn how to drive. And that was really wonderful. That was the only time I ever experienced any kind of church community that actually right. benefited me in any way. Yeah. So I am grateful for that. That was a good experience, but there was a group of us that, you know, weren't crazy about the, the organization of the church. So like, well, we'll start our own little church. Like we started this little society it's called where we'll just meet okay. and sort of talk about issues and, It'll be different, but still believing in the basic things. So that was like right. the first step, as it is for many people. Like, well, we don't believe in the organization, but we still believe in the actual philosophy. So we'll just do that. And then over time, that that sort of fell away too, because in the end it it all became, I remember when this was around when Rwanda happened. And so we're all talking about this terrible, terrible, you know, apocalypse in Rwanda. And I remember being you know, we're in this group in a circle, and we're all these very, like, thoughtful, liberal people, and just talking about how they, most people were talking about how we really had to focus on what an illusion it was, you know, and how it's not real, and how we could somehow help by thinking that. And I remember being the one who was like, yeah, but people died <laughs> horribly, I mean, this, this is a horrible, horrible thing that happened. Mm. You know, I just mm. could not instantly dismiss it. And that's what I knew, that I just, I couldn't be in this mindset anymore. It was yeah. just so, it was just dripping with privilege and, you know, mm. narcissism and, and arrogance. And it was just disgusting to me, it's, you know. It's
1: like, the old, like obviously all courts do gaslight you but it feels like the most gaslighting i've ever heard like anytime you think anything you're like oh that hurt no no it didn't oh it's, no, it didn't. it's no, it awful didn't. that this happened it didn't happen do you know what i mean like anything yeah. you say is just like well none of this is real and anything you experience feel believe like other than what mm-hmm. we say didn't happen isn't true it just yeah constantly, oh, constantly. the amount of gaslighting is overwhelming <laughs> yeah it's terrible
0: then it got down to well okay so christian science is like deeply flawed and I don't believe it in anymore but I still believe in God and I still believe in Jesus and I'm, I'm still a Christian and identified as a Christian and um you know would still pray occasionally when when things would happen to me and at that point I still hadn't seen a doctor yeah. <laughs> quite honestly because I was just afraid yeah. I was afraid to go because I had no understanding of medicine or basic healing things in medicine how how old
2: were you when you went to the doctor for the first time if you don't mind me asking um,
0: i did not go to the doctor until i was about 33 and it was only to see a gynecologist so i could get on birth control (laughs) that was the only reason i went Hmm. and um i think shortly after that somebody talked me into you need to just go for a checkup just go for a checkup. And then I started to get skin cancers too. I'm a very, I'm very skin cancer prone person, never life threatening, just little spots that need to be removed and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I had a friend who I'd let the skin cancer on my neck turn into this giant lesion. And thank God she said to me, that's skin cancer. You need to get that removed immediately. (laughs) Because I was just letting it go. I was like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. nothing, it'll go away. In, in my classic christian science yes. mentality of like it'll wow. be fine i'll be fine you know so thank god for those friends oh, you know absolutely. but very gently <laughs> point out that no i think you need to do yeah, this i think it'll it's be good. good for you wow. <laughs> so wow. um so yeah there was a long period where i still wanted to believe in in a higher power and i don't know where you two stand on these things so i don't want to you know, insult you if you're God-believing, but
2: <laughs> no, I sort of we didn't are
0: realize that was nonsense. <laughs> We're both
2: confirmed atheists. Um, okay, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things that um, really got me was when I saw the movie Religious. Have you seen I don't that? Think I've seen
2: that? I don't think I've seen the that. The
0: Bill Bill Mars movie that he made. I'm going to say maybe ah. 15 years ago about his. His atheism and his, you know, search for understanding why people believe what they believe, and there was a segment in it. I, I had already sort of come away from belief in God at this point because I felt like if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with a God that causes genocides and, you know, natural yeah. disasters and like the hell mm. with it. Um, so I'd already been on that path, but there was a segment in the movie in which he points out that the the classic Jesus story that we all know was actually a story that had been told for thousands of years before that, before he was supposed to have even existed, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the same things of born of a virgin and born on the 25th of December and died and resurrected three days later. All of those stories had been part of, of myths going back thousands of years. And I remember watching it in the theater and thinking, that's it. This is all Hmm. incorrect. All of it is wrong everything I've ever been taught is wrong. (laughs) There wasn't really a Jesus, or there might've been some guy that maybe said a few things, but to to end up where it ended up was certainly undeserved, you know? So that was it. And I, I just came completely out of all belief. And it was years of adjusting myself to be comfortable with the concept of just randomness and chaos, because that's not a nice feeling. As humans, you know, our pattern seeking brains, want to believe that things are in order and that they happen yeah. purposefully and as egotists we want to believe that everything happens for us in a good way that things are looking out for us and, and doing good things for us and we'll end up okay but you look around you and you see people don't end up okay my mother didn't end up okay
2: <laughs> you know no, that's right she had a that's terrible right.
0: terrible ending and mm. that's just that mm. was her story and yeah. that's it and and just sort of reconciling yourself to that that things are unresolved and things sometimes end badly and that's just how it is and sometimes people are are tortured by terrible events their whole lives and nobody knows why because they're really good people
2: <laughs> yeah and, and i i don't know how you feel about this but i think the the other side the other side of that coin in a way is um, so i i sort of identify as a humanist um, and part of that way of thinking about the world is that whilst you know I certainly don't believe that all bad things that happen to people are because of what they've done but on the other hand you know if we want to make the world a better place if we want the world to be a good place where people are living happily and are kind to each other and you know all the all the things that we need society to be that is that is up to us as human beings you know we together we need to make um, the earth a better place and and I I always felt that my religion stopped me thinking I had any responsibility to do that so we didn't get involved in the world and because God was going to put all that right but now actually it's up to us as human beings you know we we need to to take responsibility for making the world a better place and everybody has a little very tiny role in that that's just my philosophy I guess but yeah that that's how I see it.
0: I think some I mean some some religions are very outreaching and do a lot of charity work and that's great Um, but Certainly, mine did not at all,
2: nice.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I yeah, had no involvement with the outside world whatsoever. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, leaving Christian Science has made me an infinitely more empathetic person. Yeah. I think for a long period, I was a very not empathetic person because I was raised in a very not empathetic environment where everything was well. It's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that yeah. was.
0: That was my entire, entire childhood was my mother telling me everything was my fault all of the time. And I remember there was one moment where I, because of course you you go to that parent and she was a single parent too. So she was the only one I had Hmm. as a child, even if you're not getting what you need from them, you continue to go to them because you just keep trying and there was yeah. one moment when I was a teenager when I, I was really distraught over a, a relationship issue. And I sort of tentatively brought it to her because I just I just I just had to try and get a little sympathy. <laughs> of and for one moment she actually said to me, Well, yeah, that could be really hard. And I couldn't believe it. It wow. was like the heavens parted. The oh. sun came down in shafts on my head. <laughs> I was celebratory. You know, I could not believe that for one second she actually admitted that I had mm. been through something difficult yeah. <laughs> and that she could understand. That was one time. <laughs> so, it's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a parent now, mm. and I'm so focused on validating their feelings, you know, when they come to me with something that to them is this huge tragedy, which, of course, in the scheme of things is probably not because they're little kids. And just being understanding and saying, oh, yeah, it's too bad that happened. I see why you're upset about that. You know, I never got that.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, we, we've we talked to um, a cult expert called Alexandra Stein. I don't know if you've heard hmm. of her. Um, I have not she's very interesting she's written a book um well she's written more than one book but her latest book is called um, love terror and brainwashing I think um but it's um, she focuses on attachment theory and how cults use um, a sort of disorganized attachment to make you feel kind of like you you're drawn to the group but you're also afraid of the the group you know and so you have this this very disorganized sense of attachment but you know you're talking about the way that your mother raised you and and it feels to me like it's really important to have that sense of attachment to your parents or parents when you're young and part of that is that you know you can go to them and yeah sure have a little cuddle have a bit of sympathy because that that is what you know that is almost your definition of what you need to be as a parent, I I, I do believe. And any anything that cuts across that is is damaging or potentially damaging. Um but we, we want to talk about beliefs, I think, um uh Celine. Um so by the time our listeners hear this, they will have heard our discussion about beliefs. Because one of the things that often Cult apologists or people defending groups say, is you know, we shouldn't criticize other people's beliefs. And I have some sympathy for that position because I think people do have a right to believe anything they want to. But on the other hand, beliefs do have consequences, don't they? And I think today you've illustrated that, or you've demonstrated that really, really well that, yeah, beliefs have consequences. Those beliefs about unreality. And the world not being real, that has consequences about choices you make around going to the doctors, having medicine and and so on. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, Christian science, of course, is sort of an extreme example because people do actually die of their beliefs, which doesn't happen (laughs) that commonly in other religions. But, you know, as we've talked about there, there's also these other bizarre sort of echoes that come out of just having that belief system that for me took Mm. you know all of this time to unravel yeah Yeah. and i could have just been living my life happily and instead i'm here trying to actively rewire my brain against these well-trodden neural pathways you know
2: (laughs) but it sounds like you're doing a good job so um where how are you how do you feel now hillary you feel happy and contented with your life outside of that group and you seem to be in a good place yeah, I do.
0: I, I feel really good. I mean, I I feel like I've earned it, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of, of inner work to get here and to get to the point where depression and anxiety aren't just the, the constant default, you know, yeah. I think they'll always be with me as they will be for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. But I, I have a much better system of of tackling these things, much better tools than just saying it's not real because that doesn't actually work.
2: Doesn't work. <laughs> Brilliant, um, Celine. Have you got any final question or anything you want to say?
1: Well, I mean, the main thing is to say thank you, isn't it? We always got to do that because um, yeah, you've talked about a lot of like heavy stuff and like stuff we've not talked about before because we've not mm. spoken to anyone about um, Christian science before and. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of what you've said and to the extent of how it can you know, affect someone past the point of what does it mean to refuse medical care? What's the implications of all of that and the emotional side of it as well? So thank you so much for sharing all of that because I think you. it'd be really important for everyone to hear as well on the podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you, Hilary. Thank you for giving your time today. Um, um, Hilary, Alexandra, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. is an evil sheep production.